Hello, hello, Bible Stormers. Welcome back to the final episode of this season for the Bible Storming Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here with me. I'm so glad to be here with you. And I'm excited for, for what we're going to talk about today. One really quick note of housekeeping before we dive in, and it is a pretty important one, so I figure I'd, I'd better say it at the beginning. The Bible Storming Podcast, up to this point in its existence, has been on the Scattered Abroad Network of podcasts. And that's been great. It's been good for the podcast. Hopefully it's been good for Scattered Abroad and everything that that organization is trying to do. But going forward, the Bible Storming Podcast will actually be moving off of the Scattered Abroad Network and going about uh, in its own way, I guess. And there's no animosity behind that. It's just that Scattered Abroad is transitioning into a different season of their existence. And um, they're needing more from me than I can provide with my schedule. They they need more episodes um, than I can could do without probably losing all of my hair. And I really like my hair. I also really like being able to sleep at night. And so given all of the the demands on my time, I'm transitioning away from Scattered Abroad. But if you are a subscriber, then the Bible Storming Podcast is going to remain right here in your feed. And we probably will keep up something of a regular posting schedule. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to look like. I'll probably just record when something really hits me and I want to hop on here and talk about it. So if you are a regular listener, feel free to reach out. Let me know that you listen, that you appreciate uh, what I'm doing and what topics you might like to hear me talk about um, because that'll give me some inspiration moving forward. And who knows, maybe it'll inspire me to post more if I know that you are out there listening and wanting to hear my baritone voice come through your AirPods or whatever you listen on more often. So just let me know on that. But other than that, we're just going to move forward with our final episode of the year, of the season with the Bible Storing Podcast. So without further ado, I figured there was no better place to go than the most important event in history from a Christian perspective the event that really changed everything for not only the earliest followers of Jesus, but for all of his followers since, and really, in my mind, changed how everyone on earth can and should view reality itself. So today, we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus's resurrection from the dead was such a category shattering experience for his earliest followers that you find profound, deep reflections on it in every single writing of the New Testament. Every single book, as we call them, that constitutes our New Testament talks about the resurrection. And just as we begin, I I want us to step back and just get in the heads of Jesus's earliest followers. Like, why did this mean so much to them that they emphasize it so much? So imagine that you are in this crew that's been following around this Jesus guy for a few years now. You are someone who's seen him heal other people. You've seen him do all of these ridiculously awesome miracles. Maybe you've even been healed by him yourself, as some of his followers were. So you've been transformed by this man. If you're one of his followers, you've you've been caught up 
in this electric and beautiful and, and compelling vision of the world and this claim about himself, that he was God's son, that he's bringing God's kingdom, God's reign, God's rule here on earth. He's, you've seen him invite people into his family of disciples who had never been included in any families or religious groups before. And he would celebrate with those people. He treated everyone like they were made in the image of God. He taught you that God cared about the sparrows and how much more could he care about you? And he he taught you that the world is a safe place because God's got this. So love your enemies, treat them well, turn the other cheek because tomorrow will be anxious for itself. God's got this. He got them to believe in promises um, that they've been waiting on for so long. I mean, promises like Isaiah 65 verse 17, where God says, behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. His promise from God through his prophet Isaiah that something new was happening in the world. Jesus caused him to believe that, that that was at least starting to happen in him. So they had their hopes up. If you're following him, you have your hopes up that maybe, just just maybe, the world is the kind of place that Jesus talked about. And then it all just shatters because he, he could save others, but apparently he couldn't save himself, right? That's the headspace that they're in. It's nice to dream that it could have been different and Jesus helped foster that dream for a little while. That was fun, right? It was, it was fun to imagine that this world isn't as broken and rigged as sometimes it seems like it is. But now we're back in reality. And reality is not a world that's fair or controllable or tied up in some pretty low, little bow. Because Jesus is, is not the first or the last Jewish man that they've seen crucified. You can Google this, and if you get anywhere close to the spelling, it'll come up. But we have evidence um, in, ter- in or in the form of a heel, <laughs> like a heel on a foot, that uh, comes from the first century. I think it was found in Jerusalem in like the 50s or 60s, uh, 1950s, 1960s. And it dates from the first century around the time when Jesus was crucified. And it wasn't Jesus' heel, but it's from this guy who... We call Yehohanan. So you can Google Yehohanan's heel and it's going to pop up. It's a heel from the time of Jesus, or, or sorry, around that time, around the same uh, century, in the first century, of a, another Jewish man who was crucified. And it's, I mean, it's a nail if you want to call it that, but really it's kind of like a railroad spike almost. Like it's a big old thing that's impaled through this man's heel as he was crucified, much the same way that Jesus was. So they've seen, they've heard of things like that. When the Romans sacked Jerusalem 40 years or so after Jesus died, um, they crucified 500 people a day for a while while they were burning the city. So just on the hills outside Jerusalem, 500 people, 500 Jews, just on crosses beside each other as they watched their city burned. So If you're a follower of Jesus, you are watching Jesus experience the same thing that you've seen happen to people throughout your entire life. (laughs) This is just another moment. Jesus' crucifixion is just another moment that represents how this world is. People like Jesus and Yehohanan get crushed 
by the machine. That's just how this world works. But in Luke 24, I want to just read to you the first 12 verses because they're so cool. (laughs) So if you are not driving or running or, I mean, usually if I'm listening to a podcast, I'm not uh, in a place where I can just pull up a Bible and read. But if you want, I'm going to read from Luke 24, the first 12 verses, because it's just so cool. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and remember, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, for they did not, or and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Amen. (laughs) Now, I really want us to think through this practically because I think this may be the most practical event in human history. (laughs) So some of us have experienced that life sucks, if we want to put it like that. Life is not ideal all the time, right? We've all experienced that to differing extents. And if you've experienced that a whole lot, you probably at some point, have come to this point. And maybe you're here now where you just accept, yeah, this is the kind of world I'm living in, right? Like, it's nice that Jesus could talk about victory over death. It's nice we talk about his, like, he got it from the grave and all that stuff, so I could go to heaven one day. It's nice when Paul talks about, like, genuine transformation and, like, hope and all that stuff. But I know my life, and I know that that's kind of a pipe dream for me. Like, not that I would ever say that out loud necessarily in church, but I just know like this sin that I can't get over. It's just here. Like it's just going to be here in some form or fashion for the rest of my time. This injustice or whatever that I'm experiencing in life where my boss just is treating me like this or my family member or whomever it is. I'm just like something like this is just always going to be here. That's really going to define my life. And this story from Luke 24 comes along. And it asks us to entertain the simple claim that that's not true. That that's not the way that the world really is. And it's not who you really are. And to a lot of us, that kind of sounds crazy, right? (laughs) But whatever the Christian message is, it's not a pipe dream. Like it's not ignoring the genuine evil and destruction and brokenness in our world. Actually, the Christian story looks right in the face of the most tragic evil our world knows, and it embraces it because it looks in the face of something as broken as the crucifixion of the best person who's ever lived. (laughs) And it says, this is our answer. Because what are these women supposed to do when they come to the tomb? I mean, what, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to 
have these spices to put them onto the tomb, put them on Jesus, whatever it is, and just say, I guess we'll just go home and learn how to cope, right? And that's the best that many of us do. Our experience teaches us how the world is. We get hurt. It's hard. We find a way to cope. And for many people, that's what it means to be human. But to be a follower of Jesus is to do something kind of crazy. <laughs> it's to choose to believe that that vision of the world isn't actually the real world. It's real and that it happens, but it isn't the most true thing about our world. And it's certainly not where our world is heading in the end. And I say that because of passages like 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you're in Christ, if you are in his body, then you are a new creation. You are experiencing what God wants to do with this creation with you, with me, with everything else. Because Jesus was the first taste of new creation. When he busted out of that tomb, he gave us the first glimpse of new creation. Colossians 1 verse 18 says that he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. He's the firstborn. He is the harbinger of what is to come, of what we are experiencing if we are in him this new creation. So I've lived in the southeastern United States for my entire life. I've lived in Alabama, Tennessee, and Arkansas, and that is the extent <laughs> of my moving around. So I have not experienced snow very often. Um, I mean, I probably couldn't count it on both hands, but it's probably pretty close, the amount of times that I've seen snow in real life. Not a whole, not a whole lot. So I haven't personally seen this, but I've heard about this flower called the crocus flower. And this is another thing you can Google if you want. Just go Google crocus flower in the snow and just guess on the spelling. You'll probably get pretty close. I believe in you. <laughs> just Google it and see, like, it is a really, really beautiful sight. It's this flower with vivid colors bursting out of snow. And that's not normally how we think of flowers, right? Normally we think of flowers coming in spring when the snow is all gone, when it's getting warmer, and it tells us that spring is here, right? But the crocus flower has this really cool property where it comes in in a time when most other living things are kind of hiding out. Like, I don't know about you, but in winter, I'm generally just more down than in summer or spring or fall even. I just... I kind of burrow for the winter a little bit. I get um, a, not really like seasonal depression clinically or anything like that, but just generally speaking, I'm a little bit more down. I don't spend as much time outside because it's freezing and who likes that, uh, but I love to be outside. So I miss things like that in winter. So we kind of burrow as a species in winter, even when we're outside, we have like 40 layers on keeping us from that dangerous and dreadful cold. <laughs> But also, you know, all kinds of other creatures do the same. And, and so much of God's, God's creation does the same. But the crocus flower pops up. And to me, the crocus flower has this beautiful message of, yes, things are dark and cold right now. But there's something else that is on the horizon. Like springtime is going to be here eventually. And to me, that's what the resurrection of Jesus does. 
it tells us just like the crocus flower tells us like i will live in that world again right i will live in the warmth again because this crocus flower has bloomed to me that's how the earliest followers of jesus it's something like how they made sense of the resurrection right because the world seems like it's a certain way and then something happens that's so out of place it's so sudden you would have never seen it coming and all of a sudden the world continues to be the, the, the way that it is, right? There's still snow all over the ground, but it's different now because the crocus has bloomed. So all of the old prophets from the Hebrew scriptures from the Old Testament had said, spring is coming, right? That's, that's so much of their message. It's like, yes, it's dark right now. We're in exile. Our world is kind of broken, but spring is coming. And Jesus tries to tell his followers, like that's, happening in him, right? And they're just like, yeah, we know that spring is coming, Jesus. Like, we know it's around the corner. And he's just like, you don't get it. This whole time, you you don't understand what's happening. Because they had no category for what just happened in Jesus, where he gets up from the grave, right? There's no comparison to this in ancient literature, as far as I know. There is uh, literature about someone getting up from the tomb. We have that even in the Jewish scriptures and in the New Testament, someone getting up from the tomb. But all those people died again, right? But not Jesus. Jesus was the first taste of something totally new, something totally different. And to me, if we're going to embrace that this is true, we have to rethink our entire lives. We have to rethink the the type of world even that, that we're living in. Because this is the kind of world where someone can be perfectly healthy and their heart goes out, right? This is the kind of world where cancer exists and it really just kind of takes all of us out, it seems like. This is the kind of world where Yehohanan and people like him just get run over and he doesn't have the last word. The machine that runs him over has the last word. And the Christian message comes along and it says that something is different in the world. Like all of that stuff that we see is not actually reality. Like, yes, of course it's true. Of course it actually happens. But ultimately, spoiler alert, it's not really true. That's the Christian message. That something is very wrong in how we see the world if we judge it just based off of the brokenness of it. And the question for us is, why would you ever believe such a thing, right? Like, why would you believe that in the face of so much mourning and depression and anxiety and doubts and fears, in the face of all of that, why would you believe that the world is anything different? And I think the Christian faith's answer is that there's a crocus flower in the front yard. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And and all of these people saw this mutilated and murdered man put in a tomb and then they saw him again (laughs) and he said hi and he wanted to hang out and eat and talk with them. I think that's the answer. That yes, the world is so broken in so many ways and we're not ignoring that. We just know that there's something that has happened in history that is so totally category shattering life-transforming, perspective-forming, that we can't look at the world the same way that we did. I think a fair question as we look back through history is why did Christianity survive? There, I mean, 
of all the religions that could have survived, of even the first century Jewish messianic movements. Like Jesus was not the first person to come along and claim that he was the Messiah. So of all of those movements, why is this still around? Why are we <laughs> in the 21st century? You're pro- if you're listening to this, you're probably in America. You probably speak English. Why are we, of all people, who probably, it's hard to imagine someone more different from Jesus than we are, just in our basic categories of ethnicity and income and education, all of those things. It's hard to imagine people more different from Jesus than probably most of the people listening to this podcast and definitely the person who's speaking on this podcast. So why are we following this guy, of all people, why have we dedicated our lives to him? I think it's because there was something driving these people that was so utterly unique, even amongst all of the similar movements of the first century and every other century. There was something driving these people and something driving us that is so totally unique. And I think if you walked up to these first followers of Jesus and you asked them, what is different about this? Like, why are y'all willing to give up everything for what seems like nothing? I think they would tell you, Jesus rose from the dead. The world isn't what you think it is. And to me, that is the reason I'm a Christian. I mean, even on a, on a very intellectual, uh, abstract level, some years ago, I went through something of a faith crisis. I don't want to overblow it. But just wanting to step back and ask, am I believing what I believe just because I've always believed it? Like, am I a Christian because I was born in Alabama <laughs> in the uh, 21st century. I was born in 2000, so I just barely made that cutoff. So am I a Christian because I was born into a middle-class house uh, with Christian parents and Christian friends and all that stuff? Is that why I am a Christian? Probably, yeah. Like, sociologically speaking, like, (laughs) anthropologically studying me, that's probably why I'm a Christian. Like, if I were born in India or something, I probably uh, would not have been a Christian. But, um. More like a deeper question than that to me is are there valid reasons to be a Christian in spite of that background? Because we can't help where we're born, like God controls that stuff. <laughs> so, are there good reasons to do it? And I, I went through um, just a lot of questions, a lot of struggling through um, listening to all kinds of different voices, reading all kinds of different people from various perspectives. And there are a lot of smart people who believe things that are very different from what I believe, right? And probably the same for you. But the one thing I kept coming back to and keep coming back to, not just from like an apologetics or evidential standpoint, but from just a very real life standpoint, the one thing I keep coming back to is that this guy, Jesus, got up from the grave. And the historical evidence that we have for that, in my mind, is very compelling And the evidence that I see in my life of him doing things in my life is so compelling to me. And I want to close just by reading from Ephesians chapter 1, because this is uh, Paul's reflection and prayer for followers of Jesus that I'll just start reading in verse 19. He wants us to know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So Paul wants us to know 
that the power that was at work in Jesus when God raised him from the dead and authenticated all these crazy claims about being God's son, that power is at work in you and in me. And to me, that is life-changing to think that the same power that can raise that guy from the dead, the same power that transforms everything about how I view the world, works in me and in you. And it can change everything about what I believe is possible with my life, about how I handle myself around other people. It can change everything about what I'm willing to give away from myself. It can change everything about what I want to spend my life doing. <laughs> it can change everything about everything in our lives. And to me, it is the most single relevant event in human history. Because it's the moment where this guy got up from the grave and never went back in. And he said that he was the first of many to do that. And that's me and that's you. (laughs) One day, we will also be resurrected and will live as part of his new thing that he's doing here on our earth and doing in Christ as he transforms everything about what we thought was possible about our world. To me, that's worth Bible storming on. And I hope and I pray that whatever the future of this podcast looks like, because who knows what it's going to be like. I hope you'll stay subscribed and listen in whenever I can post an episode. But regardless of, of that, I really hope that this vision of the world, this resurrection vision of reality is something that can unite you and me throughout the rest of our time here on earth that will follow this Jesus guy because he got up from the grave and promises that we will as well. That's worth following. And I hope that we can join hands and hearts and lives and do it together. Throughout all of that time, keep on Bible storming. Oh, wait, just a second. Daniel here again, (laughs) because I remembered after I hit the button to finish recording that episode of the podcast, that if you happen to be someone who listens to the Bible Storming podcast through the Scattered Abroad Master Feed, so if you subscribe to the Master Feed, and that's how you get the Bible Storming podcast, then this will be going away from your feed as soon as the new year hits. So, If you are interested in listening to more Bible Storming content, uh, just go ahead and head over to Bible Storming page on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe there to keep hearing my voice in your ears. (laughs) Or don't. That's totally fine too. But just wanted to let you know that that will, um, the Scattered Abroad Master Feed will no longer be housing the Bible storming episodes. Just FYI. All right, guys, hope you all have a wonderful holiday season and hopefully I'll see you soon.